This episode of Thinking Through Autonomy is in partnership with the Eno Center for Transportation. Eno is an independent nonprofit think tank focused on transportation. As an organization, Eno shapes public debate on critical multimodal transportation issues and builds an innovative network of transportation professionals. Eno's Aviation Working Group is a standing advisory group on all matters related to aviation policy. In their latest report, Bridging the Gap, Sustaining UAS Progress While Pursuing a Permanent Regulatory Framework will inform today's discussion. Welcome to Thinking Through Autonomy, a podcast to help you understand the promise and impact of autonomous land and air vehicles in our world. I'm Ken Dunlap, Managing Partner of Catalyst Go, taking you on this journey. Hear and read more at thinkingthroughautonomy.com. Now it's time to take your hands off the wheel foot off the pedal, hand off that throttle, and let's go. In this segment, we're with Paul Snyder. He's the Assistant Chair and Director of UAS Programs for the University of North Dakota. UND is the first university to offer a degree in unmanned aircraft systems. And the New York Times calls the campus the Silicon Valley of unmanned aircraft systems. Paul is UND's chief flight instructor and an in-situ ScanEagle unmanned aircraft pilot. He's an expert in safety management systems, or what we call in the industry SMS, and he's a member of the Eno Aviation Workgroup. In this segment, we'll take advantage of UND's unique perspective that spans all sectors in the UAS industry. Build for you a picture of what the industry looks like from flight tests to small users to the military, and compare and contrast the challenges in each segment. Paul, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Paul, let's start here. How does UND keep pace with the high expectations surrounding its campus being called the Silicon Valley of the UAS world, especially as the technology is seemingly changing at an incredibly rapid pace? Well, that really is the the million-dollar question, and uh, I think a couple things that uh, come to mind is one is, you know, aviation is something we've been doing for over 50 years. We started back in 1968, and so we have a, a, a large breadth of knowledge in regards to aviation. And so I think in July, our, our manned aircraft flew about 10,000 hours just in the month of July. And so, you know, understanding uh, what technology you need and, and how many aircraft you need and how do you get that done, you know, we've had that experience and we have those people in places to help us to, to do that. I think we're really fortunate just with our location. Um, you know, right here in, in the valley, so to speak, in, in, in Grand Forks, North Dakota, uh, we have the John D. Odegaard School of Aerospace Sciences, of course, and we also have the University of North Dakota. And we have the Research Institute for Autonomous Systems that operates out of UND as well. We have the Northern Plains UAS test site that one of the, the FAA test sites is located right here in Grand Forks. Uh, General Atomics is in the, in the area down here, as well as uh, Northrop Grumman. And as you know, with the UAS activity that the entrepreneurship uh, activities are very high and so there's there's lots of small companies that are right here in the valley that we can interact with and work with and be a part of what's happening in industry and it, that's been very helpful for us to, to stay on that cutting edge and I think the other thing is is that we've been fortunate to be a part of a lot of uh, unmanned aircraft systems research and you know research is is a great thing because it not only helps us solve problems but it also uh, makes us uh, better teachers we learn more about what's happening so that we can be those those thought leaders as we talk about policy or safety or you know education i noted that und's undergraduate aerospace degree 
was started in 2009, and then there have been a number of universities that followed. When a student is looking at all of these various universities out there, what do you think is UND's differentiator? I think one thing that would be our differentiator is that uh, we do offer a four-year degree uh, in UAS operations, and when we do that, we're again bringing that, leveraging all of that aviation uh, expertise. I think it's one of the challenges that you see in the UAS industry right now is that you could be a 16-year-old flying a small UAS, you could be a retired banker, you could be <laughs> all these different things, and but when you come from UND Aerospace, the thing that you get is that breadth of knowledge looking at safety management systems, looking at crew resource management, you know, how do you interact with the different tools that are available in the cockpit of your aircraft or in your ground control station that you're you're operating in human factors, fundamentals and autonomy, enabling concepts that enable you to, to control this aircraft. And so you get this large breadth of taking um, traditional aviation that's flown in airplanes and helicopters and then build upon that all the new things that are coming with unmanned aircraft systems. And so you get that nice breadth with the two of them. When you think back to the early days of your program, say 2009, 2010, 2011, which, you know, arguably was or factually a, a decade ago, when you look back, was that a tough sell to the university to say, it's time for us to change our focus from the manned world to the unmanned world, or, or at least put part of our focus on the unmanned world? Well, um... I think that there was enough people here that had a passion for aviation that were engaged in where things were going that um, it wasn't really a, a matter of necessarily having enough resources but having that passion and desire to continue to move forward as a group and and so we had some key people I think one of the leaders was uh, Ben Trapna who still teaches our, our ground and flight systems here and teaches aerodynamics here at, at UND and he started the program and and he was the person who was tasked with it, and they gave them the resources where he could get started and started to grow that program. And so I think, you know, really, especially in UAS, you have to have that mindset of innovation. If you don't have that mindset of innovation, um, you're going to be in trouble. And I think that's a mindset that we had before, before we started doing UAS. So it wasn't that big of a jump for us. With UND's mission, you know, certainly being education, and you want to attract students to that UAS career field, I would suspect that one of the first questions a prospective student is going to ask you, what can I do in the UAS industry? You know, certainly there's the pilot aspect, but when someone asks you, what are the various aspects of that career and what kind of education I need, how does that conversation go with a prospective student? <laughs> uh, it, it goes well, and I think, um, the thing is, is that if you look at the, the, the major folks that have been hiring our, our, our graduates, it's, it's companies like General Atomics and Northrop Grumman. And, and so that, those, those companies are looking for someone who had that well-rounded background that have that experience in airplane or helicopter as well, who know how to inter, integrate with the national airspace system. And so our pilots uh, were ones who had not only unmanned aircraft experience, but also had experience in airplanes flying those aircraft or flying those helicopters as well. And so it really made them uh, versatile in the sense that they had options uh, beyond just uh, flying for unmanned aircraft uh, companies. And what's exciting now is that those, those opportunities have just grown, right? And so there's more and more opportunities uh, to be able to explain to these students as far as where they can go when they 
when they complete their, their undergraduate degree. Which brings me really to my next question, and that's the UAS industry. Obviously, one of the things that's a challenge is that the unmanned industry has been kind of become synonymous with the word drone. And as we use the word drone, it seems to me that we forget that there are a whole lot of different unmanned systems out there that might not be the one that your neighbor is flying in her backyard. So can you give the audience maybe a quick rundown of what the unmanned industry looks like? Yeah, definitely. Well, there's, there's really two you know, facets of it. You know, we, we break them down into the, the medium and, and high altitude, long endurance type aircraft. And that's the companies like, uh, like I've mentioned in the past that are, are flying possibly overseas or flying at high altitudes. Um, and then you have also the small operations where you have uh, small UASs that are being used for pipeline patrol. It could be using for transmission inspections. It could be uh, using in agricultural uh, modes as well. And uh, those are just, you know, oil uh, fields are using them as well. So there's a, a large breadth of where the small UASs are being used um, out there in, in the field. So those are two biggest areas that you, you probably are seeing right now um, in the industry. And it's, it's really fast-paced because um, we're at, at a stage right now where there's, there's a lot of research going on, and we're doing a lot of that research and being a part of that research, I should say, to figure out some of the problems and challenges in really integrating these unmanned aircraft systems into the national airspace as well. And what's exciting really to be here is that while we have a couple hundred students in our UAS program, we have about 1,400 students in our regular commercial aviation as well. And everything that we're learning in the UAS world, I think we're gonna to have to continue to filter that into the commercial aviation world as the two start to converge more as we move forward. Paul, earlier on, I introduced you by saying that you were a Scan Eagle pilot. For those of us that don't use the Scan Eagle on a daily basis, and I would suppose that almost everybody listening in, what's the Scan Eagle and where does that fit in the spectrum of UAS aircraft that you just spoke about? Generally, I would say that it fits in, it's a, it's a Boeing aircraft, first of all, so you've never heard of Boeing. So Boeing and Situ makes the Scan Eagle, and it's, it's been flown over a million hours and, and um in, you know, over the over the entire world, and um, it's an aircraft that has about a 10 wing, 10 foot wingspan. It can fly up to about 19,000 feet, and on a couple of gallons of gas, it can stay up there for about 24 hours. And so, it's a system that has a lot of um, automation and uh, you know, and, and working towards autonomy. But it has the ability to um, really cover a large area and, and stay up for a, quite a long time. So, as far as fitting into that category. Our students actually get an opportunity to fly that aircraft here in the program. So they do small, and that's kind of our medium platform just because of how advanced and mature that platform is. And then they get into a larger a larger UAS beyond that. It's so about a 10-foot wingspan. goes up to 19,000 feet. Um, so, Paul, safety. We've alluded to that in the working paper that the Eno Aviation Work Group is uh, putting out on August 28th. And we certainly understand that safety needs to be an integral part of unmanned aircraft operations. And I'm just wondering if you could approach the topic of safety really from two aspects. One aspect would be education. What needs to be the basic education that the unmanned industry needs to rely on 
for understanding safety and practicing safety and identifying hazards and identifying risk mitigation plans. And then the second aspect would be is really, I'll call it the business side, from the ramp to the boardroom. How do you teach safety? <laughs> Funny enough, I do teach safety. <laughs> so it's one of the courses that I, I get the privilege of teaching the students. And I would start out to say that, you know, safety really has to do with, a, a, you know, a safety culture that's being created. And that culture, you know, what's, again, fun about being in aviation for over 50 years is that we've developed that culture, and that's alive and strong in the aviation aviation industry. Uh, you know, it's expected when you go on an airline that it's going to be a safe flight. There's no expectation that you're going to have a bunch of problems when you go on that flight. And uh, we've got that to a point where that's just part of who we are. And, and that's something, that's a challenge, you know, as you look across these different fields, we all have an idea of, of safety, but to have that ingrained in your culture where you're looking to learn more from the mistakes that you've made, inform other people about the mistakes that you've made and work together to try to make it better and just that continuous improvement attitude that's inside of you uh, where you feel comfortable to report when things aren't safe and you're in that environment where you know that it's better that I report this and what's going on because it's going to help us as a whole. It's going to help our entire organization if we understand what's going on here. And so it's that culture that has to be created and that really comes over time. It comes over um, leadership being behind that. You see that support uh, that they, they show you on a daily basis where they provide the resources necessary so you can, can get those jobs done. You can operate uh, safely. And so, you know, I think that's probably where it starts as far as safety goes. Um, you know, the things that, that we really need in the UAS world when we have so few regulations right now, we have regulations for small unmanned aircraft below 400 feet. I mean, generally speaking, that's about all we have, you know. So now if we want to start expanding how we fly, if we want to fly outside the visual range of, of where we're flying or we want to fly with heavier equipment or, um, you know, we want to go into places where there's maybe people, we have to have an understanding of how do we, you know, look at risk and identify hazards within our operation so that we can reduce that risk to the lowest practical level. But your second question really hit on that is that uh, when you're thinking about safety management systems, it recognizes that you have a mission to accomplish. You have to identify what your mission is and then identify you know, what risk is acceptable in order to accomplish that mission. And, and so there's a balance there because there's that protection versus production that's being pulled against each other where we're trying to be safe yeah, we really have to, you know, we have to provide a service or something that has to get done to get the job done. So there's always that pressure that's going on in between, uh, you know, an organization that we have to manage and we have to track and we have to see how we're doing as we go through that process. Certainly, one side of the safety coin, as you talked about, is transparency, sharing lessons learned, uh, you know, sharing the good and the bad. One of the things, though, I think that we encounter is that a lot of the technology behind unmanned systems winds up being highly proprietary. What are your thoughts when it comes to the unmanned industry, you know, which probably more high-tech than traditional aerospace, how do you confront that whole proprietary trade secrets issue in the name of promoting safety? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's hard, especially when we're on such the front, you know, cutting edge. Um, you know, we're working with some, a company that has uh, technology, it's called BDAR, where they're able to track uh, bee movement and we can start looking to where we're going to pollinate, how we're going to, you know, place the beehives to ensure we get the highest pollination to increase yield in fields. That's technology they just really don't want to have other people know all the details about and what's in there, right? 
And so uh, you have those struggles as we're, we're entering into this, this new world of new technology and uses of technology. Uh, but one thing that I think that we've done well as far as the industry is that we're using those industry standards, you know, organizations like ASTM that has developed standards, whether it be for detect and avoid or for aircraft certification, or even for risk management, um, the industry is coming together and the FAA recognizes those different industry organizations that are helping to develop those standards and expectations of what the minimum should be that we can ensure that we're going to have a safe operation. And, and hopefully the FAA is going to continue to leverage those kind of uh, organizations to help uh, ensure that we, we are safe. You know, right now, if I get into an aircraft and I fly across the country, I know that aircraft is reliable. I know it's been tested for that reliability and it's been certified for that. And I'm not, my biggest risk is that, you know, the engine's going to fail and it's going to, um, you know, come to the ground because I have that testing and that background. And so those standards have to be developed so we can have that testing and that background being done so we can know that we have, you know, safe equipment that we're using. I think that's probably more the answer than, you know, necessarily right away getting into all the, the nuts and bolts of how something, you know, works necessarily. And let me ask you as we close out this segment to maybe take a deep look into your crystal ball. When you look at all of these phenomenal capabilities that unmanned systems can do for us, whether it's environmental monitoring, whether it's package delivery, you know, fill in the blank, what do you think are on the near horizon? Which ones are on the far horizon? And what winds up becoming, you know, that killer application that is going to be the one that continues to sustain the industry and make that application an important part of a business case? Well, I'll, I'll try to answer all that. If I miss some of it, let me let me know. You know, I think on the, on the short term, I think that there is a pretty big push from industry to really figure out what are the low risk scenarios of flying unmanned aircraft and start to open that up uh, so that we can start developing that reliability and durability and start developing you know those test cases where we can do them and we can fly and we can continue to show the safety you know of, of flight and from that you know those low risk cases we can start opening that up and providing some blanket type waivers that allow people to operate and to start making money and doing business then I think that's going to start, you know, helping us to even identify some additional lessons learned if we watch it and we track it so that we can then open that airspace to a greater level. Uh, and maybe it's it's in an incremental type, you know, format. Maybe we don't go right up to 60,000 right away, but maybe once 400 is taken care of, maybe we can we can work our way up a little bit above that so that we can start, we can start uh, you know, making money and commercializing things on, on, a, on a greater scale. And so I, I think that's probably the... The, the, the next steps, um, you know, long term, I, I can't help but think that there's going to be a, this convergence again between commercial aviation and unmanned aircraft systems. Uh, you know, we saw it when small aircraft like uh, the Cirrus aircraft and small general aviation aircraft first had glass cockpits. You know, you had better technology in this little plane, little four-person plane than you did in airlines. It was amazing. And pretty soon you saw all that technology filter into the airlines and pretty soon... You know, we all have this kind of technology, and I think you're going to see those kind of filtering things happen in this this convergence where, you know, unmanned aircraft systems, understanding autonomy, and and all the concepts with communications that go with it, and are going to start to merge closer together, and you're going to see that convergence. I think you know long you know long term, and that's where we're talking about the idea of you know the package delivery and having 
in urban mo uh, air mobility where you have possibly air taxis type things, kind of that Uber autonomy type vehicle uh, happening as well. And so that's the, the long term, you know, but we have to figure out how that fits into integrating with airports as well as how that's going to work with managing the traffic of unmanned aircraft to merge with, you know, with manned aircraft or with a regular traditional commercial aviation as well. So there's a lot of challenges, a lot of things we got to fix, but I know there are people working on all of them right now, so it's exciting. And with that, Paul, I just want to thank you for being on our segment today, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in the skies. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. This podcast is edited by Piper Creative. Piper works with startups, Fortune 500 companies, and everyone in between to produce podcasts, YouTube videos, and compelling digital media. Learn more at pipercreative.co.